named Kiana is going to be baptized. And so if you're able to stick around for a few extra minutes and celebrate with uh, Kiana, that would be fantastic. Also, if you're in middle school today, uh, we're going to have a special event for middle school uh, just down the road at Arata's um, Corn Maze Hay Ranch Pumpkin party or thing or whatever. I don't know the name of it. I know where it's at, okay? So uh, if you're in middle school, 5.30 today, we're not going to have our regular middle school time. It's going to be down the road, 5.30 at the pumpkin place down there, okay? So um, talk to Taylor. Taylor knows everything, okay? I am just a figurehead here, okay? So good morning. My name is Kurt. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Mariners, and I am so glad to be with you today. I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, I am uh, working with the students here, middle school and high school students, and I've got the greatest job on the planet. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to do uh, what I love to do so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, oh, yeah, great. Good. (laughs) Hey, uh, anyone here over 30? Over 30? Some of you are lying. Most of you are. Um, remember, Remember when you were the future? (laughs) <laughs> remember when we had all this potential and excitement to neck us in 1986 whitney houston sang i believe the children are our future teach them well and let them lead the way show them all the beauty they possess inside Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter. Yeah. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be, right? I was 14 years old when Whitney sang that song, and that song filled me with hope and a future. I can do anything. I can climb the highest mountains. I can become president of the United States. I'm unstoppable. And now at 49, her, her lyrics remind me of how I used to be. No future, no hope. Alan Jackson sings a song, Remember when 30 seems so old. Looking back, it's just a stepping stone to where we are and where we've been. Said we'd do it all again. Remember when? (laughs) My eight-track tapes are for sale in the lobby if you'd like to pick one up, my greatest hits. Yeah. What are your thoughts when you think about the future? What comes to your mind? What do you start thinking about? Do you start thinking about lunch? I do. (laughs) I got a steak marinating at home. I cannot wait for lunch today. Uh, Sorry, reservations are full. (laughs) When you think about the future, do you think all the way to next week? Do you start thinking about the holidays? Do you start thinking about retirement? Depending on your mindset, mindset, thoughts of the future can be exciting. They can be scary. They can be filled with worry. When I talk to some of our students, meh, the future is meh. Your thoughts of the future could be immediate. It could be way off in the distance. I met with a retirement advisor not too long ago. Taken all of the money that I've set aside and accounts and wanted to make sure everything was in the the right order and that kind of stuff. And, 
And the advisor said to me, Kurt, don't worry. As long as you can keep a job, you'll be fine. (laughs) So please don't ever fire me because I have no financial future without this paycheck right now. When you think about the future, do you think about God? What role does faith in God play in your vision of what's to come? The Bible has a a vivid hope for the future. And God has an amazing promise for what's to come. Before we talk about that, let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for meeting with us today. We pray that as we look at your promise today, that we'll be encouraged, that our thoughts would be stirred, and that our heart would be set on the amazing promise that you have made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. By faith, I have a living hope that has been given to me by great mercy. The Bible says, according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Mercy is God's only motive for forgiving sin and granting eternal life. God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive in Christ. The mercy of God focuses on man's miserable condition of being lost, of being separated from him through sin. My hopeless condition was fueled by a deceitful heart, my corrupt mind and my selfish desires. I was a slave to sin, and I was headed to judgment and punishment. But by God's compassion, His mercy overrides His righteous anger. His mercy takes me from misery and separation to a living hope and being a child of God. In this world, we understand dying hope, don't we? The death of a dream, rainy days and Mondays always getting us down, failing health, separation, divorce, a job that we hate, a teacher that grinds up against us, disappointment, diminishing returns, no sufficient funds, not getting the grade that you thought you should get on your last project. We've all received a PhD in dying hope. We all remember how we used to be. And we remember when in the past. The Bible tells us that God grieves over the lostness of this world. Jesus Himself wept over the grief of the, the world that He experienced when He walked on the planet. But out of His infinite compassion and His limitless mercy, God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. My living hope started in death. Me dying in sin and Jesus dying for my sin. I have a grim past filled with regret. But now, I have a living hope 
found only in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. This living hope in Jesus leads me to an inheritance that will never fade. According to God's great mercy, He has caused me to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We all understand dying hope and its consequences. We understand broken promises and things that were too good to be true. The song by Alan Jackson, Remember When, is all about how life changes and we need to adjust our expectations throughout the years. Hey, on a side note, did you know that if you play a country song backwards, you get your girlfriend back, you get your dog back, you get your boat back, and you get your truck back. I'm told that's true. Anyone have experience with that? No? Not in the room? We'll have to try it later, okay? Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The Bible uses repetitive language here to illustrate God's amazing promise that our future isn't going anywhere. It won't change because it can't change. It's not corruptible, liable to death, nor subject to destruction. It will never be stained nor polluted. It won't fade, and it will never lose its magnificence. Why? Why is God's promise so solid when everything here on earth is so deteriorated? Because I don't control the promise. It's not in my hands. It's not something that I can lose because it's not something in the here and now. The Bible says that it's kept in heaven where it won't change in any way. My past, which I had control of when I was the bus driver, was filled with selfish ambitions, unfulfilled potential, and dreams that I could never accomplish. But now, my future in Jesus is ripe with the promise of God. It's an inheritance. It's actually a possession that is free from the decaying elements of the world. It is kept for me by God. The Bible says that by God's power, it's being guarded through faith. Well, what? What's being guarded? What is God guarding on my behalf that is my inheritance? Well, first, He's guarding me. I am born again. I'm not who I used to was. I am restored. I am renewed. I am fully alive in Jesus Christ. And God is also guarding my inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading through the power of God. 
My past has been cared for by God's mercy. My presence is guarded by God's power. And my future is guaranteed in the unchanging power and promise of God. If you understand your spiritual condition as separated from God by sin and reunited with Him through faith, this is the best news that we could ever hear. Of course, this is the source of true joy and happiness for everyone who believes in God. In this, you are full of joy. In this, you rejoice. I can look at my past and I can say, thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God I'm not who I used to was anymore. Thank God that I have a future promise that is guarded by the power and the promise of God that will never, ever go away. But then I begin to think, wait a minute, time out. Why do I experience difficult things now? Why is life hard now? If I'm covered by God's mercy and I'm guarded by His power, why do I struggle with simple things? Why do I have a habit that nags me? Why do devastating things come into my life? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I would guess that the most renowned sufferer in all of history is a guy named Job. His life story is recorded in the Bible. He lost everything that he had. He lost every member of his family except his wife. He lost every cent that he had in his wealth. And he even lost his personal health, his body just beginning to mold and decay from the outside in. This is what Job said. My sighing comes instead of bread. My groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease. I am not quiet, which means there's no peace within me. I have no rest, but the trouble still comes. Okay, so see, this is when I want to get off of the faith thing sometimes. <laughs> I like the idea of trusting in Jesus and, and having God's mercy surround me and protect me. And I love being guarded by the promise of God. But I personally have a strict policy against all pain and suffering. Anyone have that policy as well? Yes. I have a strict policy against any kind of pain or suffering. But the Bible teaches that trials come by God's design. It's something we better understand, right? The Bible says that they are for a little while, which literally means for a season. Life is brief. Eternity is forever. While we are here, troubles will come and troubles will go. Trials are if necessary, which means God always has a purpose for the thing that we're going through. They are to humble me, 
which brings me back to a place where I'm fully trusting in God. They should take my view off of this world and put my attention refocused on trusting in God. They should teach me to value God's blessing and His care in my life. Trials should inspire me to help others. They should lead me away from rebellion against God and live a life of faith. And trials should develop my spiritual character, my faith in God. It's true that trials cause grief. Not only in physical pain, but in every emotion that we can name. God causes, uh, uses the pain in the here and now to refine me, to shape me, to draw me closer to Him. All pain has a purpose. Trials are various, meaning they come in every form. They're financial, they're physical, they're emotional, they're mental, they're spiritual. We have spiritual pain. This happens in home, it happens at school, it happens on the job, it happens with family, it happens with friends, it happens with, with your employer, it happens in your church, it happens in the daytime, and it happens at night. Trials happen over the holidays, careful, your family's coming. Trials happen when you're alone. Trials happen when you're surrounded by people. Trials happen when you're trying to do the right thing. And trials almost always come when you have other plans. Other than that, you're free. <laughs> I love that. And the Bible teaches, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though it was something strange happening to you. That word strange means unnatural. Don't be surprised when you go through hard times like it's something unnatural. God has a plan and He has a purpose. And this is where God throws out my strict policy against pain and suffering. And He and I are going to have words about that. I want to shout, I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. This should not be happening to me. And God always has a plan for my development to build me stronger through faith. My living hope in God's amazing promise has a purpose. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. Trials test my faith and make it stronger. When walking through a trial, I always ask God that one big question. What's that big question when we go through a hard time? Why? Right? And then when God answers that, and I ask Him again, but why? Right? Why, 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 why? His reply has always been, I'm with you. This will make you stronger. The Bible teaches that my faith will have tested genuineness. That's proof. It will be proven. 
It's not a fable. It's not a dream. It's not a wish. It's not a prayer that floats up into nothingness. Through testing, my faith becomes solid, concrete, proven. We could say it this way, that the tested residue of your faith has proven your trust in God to be reality. I've heard a story about a tightrope walker who walked across the mouth of the Niagara Falls, you know, up at the top when the water goes, put a rope over there and crowd gathered to watch him and he had a wheelbarrow and he walked the wheelbarrow across the tightrope and the crowd went wild, hey, do it again. So on his second pass, before he started walking, he put 200 pounds of rocks in the wheelbarrow and he walked across Got to the side and the crowd went wild. Yay! Do it again. And he asked the crowd, how many of you think I can take a man across with me? And the crowd's like, yay! Do it, do it, do it. Who wants to go with me? Crickets. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. Nobody. Vom- I would have been there instead my brother. Go and get my brother. Take my brother. Nobody volunteered. No one raised their hand. Their belief in his ability to do it ended when action was required. When my faith grows through the fire, it will either be destroyed and proven a sham or it will be purified and stronger because it has been tested and tried and it's been squeezed and my faith muscle grows. Even in this, God has a purpose. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor. It would be easy to say that I will praise God for my deliverance of sin and I will give God honor all the glory and all the thanks for how He has reordered my life and set me free. But the praise and the glory and the honor in this verse is not for God, it's from God. The purpose of trials in my life is to prove that my faith is real, that God is real, that I have experienced Him and He has kept His promise. And through the refining process, going through a trial, my faith is purified, which makes it stronger. And on that day, I will see Jesus face to face and I will look Him in the eyes. And I don't know how He's going to do it, but He's going to honor me for my faith. He's going to praise me for going through all those trials and coming out stronger and trusting in Him more. Now, I'm a sports guy. So the idea for me of getting an eternal high-fi from Jesus is pretty, pretty cool. (laughs) I don't know what an eternal high-fi looks like, but I can't wait for it. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and join me. My favorite promise of God regarding my future 
is that I will see Jesus. Remember Job, who suffered so much, lost everything, even his own personal health? Listen to his words. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My living hope is that I will look into the eyes of Jesus who died for my sin. He paid the penalty for all the things that I did. Not only did He die for me, but He has risen to life and He lives today. He holds the promise of salvation for all who believe in Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We often hear people talk about heaven, that they can't wait to see family and friends that that have gone on before before them, that they they can't wait to walk on streets of gold. They can't wait to be completely free from the traps of this world. Yeah, there are people from this planet that I can't wait to see again. But there's one reason and only one that I want to go to heaven. I want to see Jesus. This is the goal of our faith the purpose of all these trials. This is why God covered me with His great mercy. My living hope, my inheritance, which is guarded by the power of God so that I have God's mercy surrounding me. It isn't so that I can see family and friends and have interesting conversations with historical figures from the past. I want to see Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we are so thankful for what you've done. We don't enjoy the trials of this life, but we know that you have a purpose and you have a plan. You're constantly drawing us closer to you to trust in you more, to rely on you, to be more like you. Thank you, God, that we don't hold the promise. It's not in our back pocket. It's not in our bank account. It's not in our safe deposit box. But it is in heaven with you where it'll never, ever spoil. It'll never, ever be lost. Thank you, God, for your great mercy. I can't wait to see you with my own eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest crowd.